Give a nice warm tavern welcome to all you glamour bards wearing leotards and all you fools out there who thought it was a good idea to go walking around in padded armor. It was a real bad idea, real terrible idea. But anyway, I'm Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, and I'm kicking it live, righty and rocking with my friend. Uh, what's your name again? Felicia. Okay. <laughs> So anyway, Sarah's here on the podcast, uh, barely audible at all, um, but we're kicking it with another episode of the Campaign Builder. We are ready to talk about our next topics, but first, before we dive into it, Sarah, mm-hmm. how are you? Great. Moving on. You're... Oh. <laughs> I don't... That's look, the podcast, guys. Let's go. That clap is going to blow somebody's windows out of their car. <laughs> it's going to be me. I hope so. But anyway, uh, before we get into the thick of it, I will say, I mean, we just hit 500 plus listens, and I'm super impressed by that. So all you people out there who've been listening for a short while or since the beginning or whatever, I mean, I bet it's probably just Ryan. Ryan has listened to this about 500 times, and you, 250 each. (laughs) And then one sad, sad person thought they were listening to like... I don't know, like Dimension 20 or, or something like that. <laughs> they actually clicked on this shit and they're like, oops. <laughs> but anyway, thanks everybody out there who did listen, who has been listening. You guys rule and I love you. So don't reject my fan mail. Um, but anyway, continuing on with building this campaign world, we have a, another trio of questions. Um, and I find that the farther we're getting into this, the more I'm trying to like prove myself with my campaign that we can do stuff that's kind of different and kind of edgy. And I'm trying really hard to find like the voice of the campaign to make it speak out as sort of a different one. Um, but all the while, I'm also trying to not to like get too far out there that it feels, I don't know, like so disjointed from classic writing and classic fantasy and classic settings, you know? Because once it gets too specific, I, I feel like it's just too much, but... I don't know. Speaking of specificities, the first question we have is, what mystic, mystical material is valued in your world? So now, I thought about this, and I thought to myself, don't mind me as I shift my position. I'm not pooping. Trust me, that's much louder. <laughs> as she blows out the remaining windows of the car. Thank you for the sound check, Sarah. But anyway... So I was thinking about this, and I one thing, one game that always kind of struck me, or or one type of game that always struck me as really neat, was the Rogue series, which some people know them as like Rogue Hacks or Rogue Likes or Rogue Lights, um, which is all cool. It's all valid. It's all fair. But the original Rogue stuff and all like the real true disciples of the original Rogue style have this thing in common, which harks back to classic D&D 
And so I guess in a real runaround way, classic D&D speaks to me a bit of this too, but the concept of chaos being its own like enervating force in the in the cosmos that kind of drives people to terrible things and madness. And so one thing I want to sort of try to influence in the game world somehow is to talk about the idea that maybe chaos is sort of like a living entity, a force that sort of like mutates and corrupts people. And now, this is the second time I'm forgetting this guy's uh, account on YouTube, but I'll, I'll pop in at the end of the episode and give you the name of him. But he had this interesting system on character sheets for his home games where on the bottom, and I promise this all gets back to the mystical uh, material, I promise. But he talks about how in his world, becoming evil is such a corrupting thing that he has like kind of a like a a, a number line on the bottom of the sheet where you have up to plus five and down to negative five and for every good action you do you move closer towards plus five which is the good alignments or the uh, lawful alignment and for every terrible thing you do you move closer to the negatives which is towards chaos and now at first i think to myself how much that kind of limits role playing and how that makes for a system without a true like alignment system to it but I really love the idea that you would be able to sort of like have characters hit that negative five and ask like what happens now and so he suggests in his world that if you can get to negative five or beyond you basically just become an NPC because you've become so evil and villainous in your actions that you've developed enough infamy and like enough just like chaos mutation that you've gone mad with your with your evil chaotic ways to the point that you just are a villain. And now I think that that's kind of obnoxious because people will be losing their characters, but I love the idea that chaos is its own corrupting force and that anybody who's like really evil and chaotic is almost like coming in tune with the force of chaos energy that exists all around them. It's kind of like the dark side where it's like being that chaotic lends you to great power. It lends you to being very independent, driven, you know what I mean? But because of that, you sort of lose yourself in that you know, and start to go mad or whatever. Now, games like Rogue go one step further and even suggest that people, like, develop mutations out of that. And so you'll have people who grow, like, tentacles or claws or, like, spikes or whatever just because they're so chaotic that, like, the cosmos breathes that chaos out of them in, like, expressions of bodily mutations, which, again, very weird, but it's super unique. So I like the idea that perhaps this world has something similar to that where chaos is almost like an entity that influences people and becoming very very evil and very chaotic sort of like i don't want to say becomes almost like a dark force in your life or something but i would say it probably leads itself to like madness or maybe even mutations and stuff and i'm not saying every evil character has to be this way but just for the sake of like interest in the game world let's operate under the assumption that being that evil and that like and i'm talking very evil acts like burning somebody's house murdering an innocent person who's begging you to stop like these terribly evil things that like only sociopathic like terrible people could accomplish without thinking about it they would be the people who suffer like these penalties and grow this chaotic urge to them you know what i mean basically becoming monsters themselves so what is this mystical material now i thought to myself what if all people sort of had this level of chaos to them and there was 
sort of like an actual physical entity of chaos to a person that, again, expresses itself through things like tentacles and spikes and horns and whatnot. But what if there was a material that could reverse that? Almost like the indulgences of Christianity in, like, you know, Catholicism before the Protestant Revolution, where you could literally pay, like, bishops and, and people to buy the indulgences to basically alleviate yourself of sin. Like, imagine that there's actually, like, a material out there, like the tears of some fallen goddess or, like, some elder god or something like that. The mourning tears that come from the gods as they transcend to, like, death or something like that. The Once the five gods, like, they get a new one and one falls into waning. What if the tears that they let off are almost like hollow crystals or something like that then people can literally use to like remove this level of of chaos from themselves almost removing like the chaotic taint that somebody could acquire from being so close to such evil stuff that it's almost like a detoxifier for them and the idea that it also acts as sort of like a neutral reagent so you could be like a magical caster and use this as sort of like a uh uh, a physical component to a spell like a like a teleportation spell could be powered by this thus powerful wizards would seek them out as well and in the same regard things like i don't know like a revival spell might require this instead of a diamond and you could just argue that there's these like god tears that exist out there in the in the world and people can go find them and they have great powerful magical capacity to them you know and i just like the idea that it would be like this multi-purpose hub but I do feel like, and, and, you know, Sarah, just in case anybody forgot you're still here because you didn't blow up the rest of the windows in their car by yelling or clapping. Um, coming for the moonroof. Okay. Okay. I think you're alienating a lot of our fans with that, okay? <laughs> Not everybody has a moonroof, okay? Like you. Well, you'll make one. <laughs> just... You know, that's more true than anything, I guess. But... If I can indulge you into uh, uh, talking uh, on the podcast a little bit. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, don't you feel like this kind of trope about some magic crystal or something like that being out there almost feels like it's kind of like been done too many times before? Um, or do you feel like you've never actually heard this concept before? I mean, I've heard of the concept before just in the world of life with, you know, this magical something or other that will fix you or whatever the cup of life and take a drink out of it and you'll live forever and that'll fix all of your problems or any of that sort of stuff um in any of the campaigns i've played or been attached to there's never been uh, probably has been that kind of trope so i suppose it makes a lot of sense um but not in regards to healing chaos so that's a little bit of a unique twist but you know and and just just because the ideas are coming to me but like I was looking today at Japanese tattoos, and I know I'm like going tangent back to a point, tangent back to a point, but one thing that I saw was like a, a popular Japanese traditional tattoo to get is to get some sort of like hinted at Shintoism tattoo of like living furniture or like, I think the living umbrella with like a foot sticking out of it is the most popular one, but there's this, and I, I promise, I mean no offense by bastardizing the details of this important point, but the idea of like animism in Shintoism where... If an object, I, and again, I apologize to anybody out there who might know more than me and might know how silly this all sounds when I'm saying it, but apparently if an object has lived, like a tool has lived in a household for a hundred years, there's some belief that that object develops a level of like animism to it where it begins to grow awareness 
So, like, if you have a, a family heirloom, like a necklace, which is stayed in the house and is coming into human contact for, like, 100 years, it develops a level of awareness, and for that, re for that reason, is almost respected. So, how about the idea that some of these crystals or these gems or whatever it is, maybe all precious stones have this to them, that if they've been around a certain level of, like, chaos or goodness or something like that for a long, long period of time, they're able to sort of, like, soak up that that certain energy to it so if there's diamonds or rubies on the phylactery of a dread lich those stones all individually have a level of like evil to them that if somebody later on finds that crown and breaks individual stones off those things are so imbued with evil energy that like they have power all themselves and have almost like a raw not sentience but like maybe that's where intelligent things come from like some great paladin had a sword for his entire career and he was able to live longer than anybody else because i don't know he was just so awesome and cool and stuff but his sword having lived a hundred years by his side slaying evil and only having his goodness that's how like holy avengers are made it's just a sword that like literally grew intelligence from being given so much raw lawful goodness that eventually it developed its own sense of lawful goodness itself it like resonated finally so what if the world has mystical materials where there's just like objects develop sentience because of how long they spend with things like again you know what i'm saying like evil daggers come from like long long standing like ownership of being stolen back and forth between assassins and thieves that by the end of it like a dagger who's seen a hundred owners but each one was more evil than the last you know what i'm saying mm. and i think that that makes for an interesting pull that maybe this campaign world has a lot of sentient items you know what i mean so those are like mystical items versus mystical materials well i guess the reason why i'm still putting this in with material is because the idea that like if there's a location like, I don't know, some crypt or some chamber, like the individual stones on the walls could be considered in some capacity evil themselves. So harnessing that that material and using it when making something terrible, like an evil tower, and using only the flagstones of an ancient burial crypt, like that just imbues more, it's like desecrated or consecrated mm. grounds. You know what I mean? Mm. So I, I think that that's the best I can come up with. But the idea that either it's, you know, like the angelic crystals or the idea that it's like, I don't know. I mean, it could be the other way around where it's like, again, the, the crystals on the phylactery of the Dredlich, like they could imbue somebody with raw chaotic energy too and just corrupt people. Like you could, I don't know, take the king's crown and put a couple of those evil stones on it. And that would almost work like a sort of poison to him where he would just slowly develop more chaotic attitudes and like slowly dip into greed and stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I don't know. They remind me almost of like luck stones from D&D, &D, but I don't know. So what, what do you think? Do you think that the animism idea is kind of neat or uh, the Shintoism I think, idea? I think, or? I think that's neat. I think it's kind of like how memory becomes, I don't know. I think, I mean, people talk about poltergeists that way, too, that, like, a location that's absorbed so much of an emotion or energy, like, develops its own, I don't know, expression or strength through yeah. a poltergeist. But it's, it's I think, a neat concept to think of, you know, an item's memory, let's, I'm going to use the word memory, um, kind of imbuing it with, I don't know, sentience. I think that's kind of interesting and neat, and it adds an extra flavor to items that isn't usually there. You know, instead of a sword being magical because it was crafted in a specific way, it's more the years it spent being 
used and imbued with its wielder's energy and all that kind of... Right. You could even almost call them, like, not legacy items or, or something like that, but the idea that they've sort of... I almost think of, like, barbecue, where you're thinking of, like, things marinating. And mm. it's like, these things marinate in an emotion. Like, again, like, a dragon's hoard could be considered cursed, because all the coins there are just imbued with an obsessive, like, tone to them. Like, the vibe of the room would just taint all the treasure, so there may be a common belief that, like, stealing gold from an ancient dragon's treasure crypt, I mean, a uh, treasure hoard, rather, is almost like cursed money because that money all came from something that just obsessed over the money itself so all the coins you'll ever have you'll obsess over them too you know what i mean so would it be that every single item has the potential has for the it potential for it and is and that's where it gets tricky you know and then would it be in a perpetual state of flux like for instance if you have a phylactery that's on dreadlich and that picks up chaos but then somebody I don't know, an adventurer loots it and takes it and thinks, hmm, that's ruby, I'm going to put it in my dagger and I'm going to stab some bad guys with it. And I'm, is it then going to... Well, I feel like that that reminds me of how intelligent weapons work and sentient weapons work, where you have, I don't know, a lot of conflicting rules on it, but the idea usually is that, like, with certain items, they have sort of a charisma all their own, and if an unworthy wielder were to try to use it, the item may have a stronger force to it than than the wielder. And thus, you have certain things like Karen's Claw from the Legend of Driss series, where even holding the sword could molt the flesh off your skin because it's just so powerful and so strong in a force of will that, like, a person who picks it up without having the proper equipment to hold it or the proper willpower to demand it work for them, like, the sword could kill you just by willing itself to do so. And you could just be a skeleton at the end of its blade. Mm. So, the idea that, like, taking those gemstones off the, uh, I don't know, the Lich's crown and being able to convert them to goodness might be, like, the project of the uh, good paladins we talked about in the last episode or a couple episodes ago and just talk about the idea that, like, certain people spend their whole careers just, like, removing the taint from certain objects or destroying them, you know? Redeeming them or destroying them, yeah. Right. Especially if it's, like, powerful weapons or, like, heirlooms of families or something like that. Maybe it's even one of those things that, like, you can imagine a quest where some family is, like, our grandfather was a terrible person, our family heirloom was this one pendant, and he tainted it with his greed and his corruption. We want to, like, to redeem it, and we want it to be fixed. So you have to go on this errand to go remove its curse. And that could be its own kind of interesting concept there, but... I also think that it should be one of those things that the DM has a lot of control over, mm. if it is that way. But I don't know. Do you think that this is a better idea than the uh, the crystals that have the ability to remove corruption and chaos? Or I feel like it, it's more flavorful. I think it... And it explains yeah. magic item creation in a yeah, cool way. And I, but I think it gives you an avenue for storyline. Right. You know, I mean, not like to mention, I, you know, like because from... even think of like a plus one dagger. Like, how does it become a plus one? We could say people smith it. Obviously, that's a thing I'm going to keep in the world. But the idea that some plus one daggers are just plus one daggers because great people wielded them before mm-hmm. you, the blade almost has that like greatness inertia, yeah. where it's just like a good sword that has served owners well, and it's just going to yeah. continue to do so. Plus, I think this mechanism, I suppose. It fits better into the world that or campaign that you've already created. Whereas I think introducing in the other concept of all of the chaos to just introduce a mystical material is adding an extra layer for one 
reason, whereas this one I think fits more easily with the actual campaign you've created. Yeah, I think it's more classic yeah. fantasy to suggest that there's... And I also think it's kind of cool to do that Eastern fusion, to take something like Shintoism and, like, give it its roots there. Especially because, like, a family could literally just have, like, a, a shovel that has been in their family farm for a long time, and it's a symbol of their family, and it just doesn't break, doesn't bend, doesn't tarnish, and it's just a good shovel yeah. that has good intentions for all who like use it and own it. And the idea that certain people in the party might have trinkets from home that they're like, oh, it gives me, quote-unquote, good luck, and they'd have no idea why, and it just might be, I don't know, like all the residents of their home life being a good place that like pushes them forward with good luck in that very subtle way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just carrying around the old family shovel and twanging goblins in the face. That's some good luck right there. But uh, the next question we have is completely different direction, but are constructs in your world, uh, sorry, are they common in your world, and what is their role? Now, Ryan and I had talked before about the idea that, like, the wizards, those evil wizards had pushed the boundaries on a lot of things to try to find ways to around dimensional travel and leaving the uh, time loop that they suppose is there. And so I thought to myself when I first read this question over earlier that what if constructs are sort of like the project build of either those wizards looking for a way to get like labor, where which is why you have things like golems, or maybe like the mechanical ones... Um, are, yeah, I guess the same thing, like, for labor and raw resources and materials, like, building, like, digging machines and things like that and just pushing their, their mathematics to, like, it almost reminds me of, like, Nazism with their weird push for, like, weird science and, like, machines and, like, rail guns and all this stuff that's just, like, who would have thought to do this other than an army that, like, did not have much time and had a push with what they were given and they believed they were fully justified in their pursuits. So not to say that this is, like, a Naziist group in any way. I'm just saying that I could see them having this, like, I don't know, hellbend on accomplishing their goals, and to do so they had to come up with weird and new ways of doing it. So maybe constructs are kind of a new idea, but they're one that sort of caught on with wizards and like people had rumored over their existence, and a lot of people don't even believe that they're real, but people talk about like mechanical dogs and like human bodies brought back with like electricity and metal rods and the idea that it's like, I mean, it's per it's like almost like a perverse look at, at real life. You know what I mean? So if a village was haunted by some sort of Frankenstein kind of wizard with Frankenstein's monster coming down from the from the windmill, like, that seems like something that could happen in an actual campaign. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I, and I think that that's a good place. I've never been super sold on constructs being a cool thing in D&D. I always thought they were kind of like a niche thing. It's kind of like how people feel about oozes, where it's like, I mean, they have a role... I see where they fit in, but they feel like such a niche group that, like, they have mm. to have a very strong purpose. So how common are they in the world? I'm cool with saying they're not very common. And instead, they're one of those, like, wizardly taboo things that maybe one wizard really liked them, and that's why there's a bunch of them in one place. But the idea that, like, you'd have a city with them all over the place, un no, unheard of. Unless it's the evil guy city, in which case, yeah, maybe that's their main form of labor. And they actually have, like, robots which tend to their fields or, you know what I mean? But, yeah, so I guess their role would probably just to be, like, lackeys and guards for wizards who couldn't be bothered to have actual people do that or whatever. But, yeah. I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you like constructs? Um, 
I, I have no real opinion regarding them. <laughs> Which is why I have you on the... Um, well, I mean, this is like a cold read. You're like, here are the questions, and we're going. And I'm like, all right. Um, I don't know, when you, when, I, when you first said this was one of the questions, I immediately thought that they were not prevalent in the campaign world that has been created so far, just because it doesn't really... It doesn't make sense to me that they would already be established in this world that's been created so far. So you well, then run with that, and we'll say that they aren't a thing that's natural to this world, but um, a place where they are kind of natural. And I thought about this, I think yesterday when I was first thinking of these questions. Not that I had that much time to prepare, but I did think about because constructs <laughs> are fucking hard to explain. Because it's like it's just such a weird take away from classic. Like imagine Lord of the Rings had constructs in it. Mm. Like where the hell would they have fit anywhere, right? Yeah. And it's like, even if you had to, like, say, oh, I guess they had them in, I don't know, maybe Saruman had them or something. Like, I don't know, maybe they yeah. helped knock down the forest. But it's like, even that is just like, when did he have the time to make fucking robots? But devils, on the other hand, have always been written in their lore to have, quote-unquote, like, machines of war and, like, these hellfire forges and things. What if the devils and stuff that the humans and that wizard thing have contacted what if the ones that came through brought with them ingenuitive ideas to mm -hmm. make these sorts of machines mm -hmm. and so just laced in the heart of every single golem in every single device ever is this tacit little like i don't want to say contract to devils but the idea mm -hmm. that it's always been quote unquote like devil technology yeah. And that it's always going to be cursed to be in some way, shape, or form corrupt or evil or something. It makes me think of, uh, what's his name? Isaac Asimov? Is that the... You know I'm talking oh, about? The Isaac guy with Asimov? The, yeah, with the whole um, like robot, um, mm. the, uh, the contract there. I just know the name. I don't know why I know the name. Oh, I feel terrible bringing him up then. But like the whole, <laughs> the, the contract, you know what I'm talking about with the robots where it's like robots can never do anything but obey their masters and then yada, oh, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the okay, idea that right. like maybe devils have something like that where yeah. it's like all of the robots they ever made or the code yeah. the constructs gotcha. have within them this like understanding that they are devil technology mm -hmm. and will always serve one master and that is Asmodeus. But Asmodeus is like waiting the days out until the time's right to all of a sudden call Y2K on these robots and be like, okay, daddy's home. You know what I mean? Mm. Oh, Alexa, uh, play my 90s hip hop playlist. Also, execute order 666. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I think that makes sense because that's, you know, it's, it's similar to what you said earlier about a wizard or, you know, that likes having created them. That's a similar way, but instead of it just becoming out of the brain of a wizard, it comes from devils. And that's pretty well written in canon that they have things like that. But I also love the idea that, like, does that not call into the idea that we have for wizards in the first place? That right. they, like, are selling their souls for great power and are submitting to dragons? Wouldn't it make all the sense in the world that they're like, would you like to use some devil technology to have a robot guard your fortress? And they're like, yeah. I would love that. Yes. It's like, but someday we may recall it and it may kill you. And he's like, I don't expect to live that long. Yeah, he's like, you know. <laughs> he's like, I'm getting off this plane I'm one way or another. I'm getting off this round. Was it? What's that thing? Merry-go-round. There you go. I'm I like, mean, you're I'm bobbing like, your head I was around. I like, I'm going to get off this roly-poly. And I'm like, nope, it's not a roly-poly. Merry-go-round. Yeah, the Young Grog Nerd podcast does not endorse roly-polies. <laughs> um, but I think we can move on to the last question. Yep. I actually really like how that construct question played out. Yeah. That's wicked neat. Yeah. Especially the idea if there's like some mechanical army somewhere being formed mm -hmm. and nobody has the keys to that machine. They're only the builders. And Asmodeus is just the one who's got like 
the fob in in the infernal abyss and he's just like waiting to do the little chirp chirp and all of a sudden they all turn on you know what i mean you i just yeah i want to just be like <clears throat> okay <laughs> well we're not listen <laughs> we're not we're not bringing up rise of, I, I know we're not it's just you said that that was a rise of skywalker like, right yeah <laughs> Oh, spoilers. Somewhat, spoilers. Somewhat familiar. <laughs> okay, next question. Execute <laughs> order. Order my egg foo young. Anyway, um... Question three. Last question. Um, what rare and interesting races populate your world? Oh, boy. Uh, well, we hinted at it uh, when we were talking about iconic monsters that Dragonborn would be interesting mm-hmm. as being sort of the, like, mutant offspring of anybody who had been too close to dragons at any point. Sort yeah. of that whole concept of the uh, proximity mutation like we were talking about with mm-hmm. Chaos and mm-hmm. the... Yeah. So I, I think that they make sense as an evil race to sort of take the foothold as being, like, almost hobgoblin flavored, like, shock troops and, like, strong infantry that make up armies and cities and battalions for those evil wizards mm-hmm. i like the idea that they're sort of that as an interesting race yep um i also feel like tieflings make a lot of sense in this campaign as being you know again like the evil offspring of devils who have come yep. through the void and wizards who had kids and they got too close to the yeah that tracks but beyond that i, I don't know about interesting races to be honest i'm kind of vanilla if you didn't know that about me I'm uh, not not a huge fan of getting all kinds of weird and flubby with my races, but, I mean, there's always an argument that hobgoblins should be a playable race, and that hobgoblins make sense as just being sort of like, I don't know, a sort of misunderstood race that's, quote, like, considered evil just because they have so many enemies, but if you were to play them as a role-playable character, I mean, they fit kind of an interesting role of being, like, strong and intimidating warlike faction that's all about having, like, strong leadership and, like, charismatic strength and the idea that, like, might makes right. But when you think about it, like, dwarves have a lot of the same opinions and beliefs, so it's interesting to have one army sort of take up the militaristic attitude and let dwarves just stick to their craftsman attitude and clan attitude. So, I mean... I'm willing to make an argument that having things like goblins and hobgoblins be playable races and argue that maybe they're sort of a neutral faction in all this and say there's some weird folklore-ish history as to why they're not truly evil or maybe even argue that just the goblins are and goblins are sort of like their own thing whereas hobgoblins and bugbears are strong enough to put a foot down and say we are evil whereas goblins are like we get stepped on by everybody, so we're kind of in the middle ground. Mm. But I don't know. Maybe that's why I shouldn't make my own campaign settings. That I'm like, I don't want to disrupt anything I know before. I don't want to question what I've been spoon-fed by <laughs> fantasy since I was born. But you know what I mean? Is there any fantasy race that sticks out to you as being kind of a neat one that you wish you could plug in somewhere? Honestly, no. Yeah, and I feel... I feel like- not to cut you off, sorry, no, 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 but no. I feel like for, or at least for me, I only just started, like, DMing my first campaign ever. I've done two <laughs> sessions, so I'm, like, not very well-versed in all of these things and all these races and stuff. But I find that the weird, obscure races come from my players wanting to be, like, really, like, I want to be this really edgy, different, like, weird thing that no one's ever been before. And you're like, all right, yes, you can be a Kitsune Fox person. Yeah sure and like that kind of stuff and i don't know that well this is where the heavy lifting comes in is now that right. we're making a world how the fuck do we fit kitsune in this place and <laughs> like, it's like i just started cause... playing a session with a guy who was playing a kitsune and i'm like okay 
This well, is and neat. that's where it's tricky is because as a dungeon master, we, there's nobody even saying like, hey, Dan, I want to play a goblin, but I don't want him to be evil. If somebody said that before we aired this podcast, yeah. we could come up with a million yeah. ways to fit them in because now we have a reason to. Yeah. But when we're given the keys to like the whole garage of cars and it's like pick one to drive to work, I'm like, I have no foot to really lean for. I'm like, I don't, I don't have strong opinions. It's right. like there's ones I can see that would make it kind of cool for a fantasy race to include a rare and weird one, but... I just, I find it hard to really, like, I don't know, just, like, create fluff and flair out of yeah. nowhere without having, like, a strong direction, and which is why Dragonborn made sense, yep. which is why Tieflings make sense, yep. but beyond that, I'm I like... I could see, I don't know if you're still going, like, the whole timey route with it. I could see there being some kind of race that's related to something... Yeah, from a different that, dimension. Like, from, that, like... from that sense, like, I was sitting here and I was trying to think, like, okay, if you're going to, like... Or create I mean, a race or think of strange races the temporal stuff could yeah i mean you could do something like like the githyanki or githzerai since both of them come from i don't want to say timeless realms of existence but like one of the only reasons why githyanki visit the other dimensions or the other planes is because their plane doesn't have time so when they have kids they won't grow up unless they come to a plane that has time so the idea that like a cloister of githyanki that were here when time all of a sudden hit that loop and all of a sudden now can't escape, mm. all of a sudden there's an entire race of people here that are like, well, I guess we have to make do. So you make right. a whole argument of how they've like just managed to survive really well by being badasses. So the idea that there's like, I don't know, Githyon Key, which no longer can, I don't know, travel the cosmos, have just become the greatest ship captains in the world because they used to fly ships in space, now they fly them in the water. And yeah. they just... But at the same time, I'm like, I just, every time I think about adding one in, I think we lose a step of the integrity of the yeah. system. Because it feels like I'm just making stuff up to add something to yeah. talk about. But it's like, I just, I agree with you that I don't feel like, I don't know, maybe there's something to be said about how, and this is why the Forgotten Realms has so many, like, sub-races of human, is the idea that there are going to be racial differences between people who live, like, Kalashites, like, the people who live in Kal Kalash? Kalashan? Kalashan? I don't know. People who live on the Sword Coast and the far north, people who live in the desert. Like, these different regions are going to give you different perks and bonuses. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's something to be said about maybe having, like, people in the campaign setting who fit into, like, one of these two different casts of people. Like, maybe there's people with old world blood and people with new world blood or some people who are close mm. to some weird hemispheric thing or people who are close to some magical influence and that's why there's two types of people. You have people who are, like, rustic farmer bumpkin people and they just are classic medieval and then you have people who have, like, weird connections to, like, sorcery and stuff. So, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, you could do something like that. But, again, I just feel like at that point, I'm just coming up with a complete campaign yeah. story arc that didn't have to be there right. until somebody demanded right. interesting creatures. So, I will fall back on this, though. I do think, because this campaign setting, above all things, seems to herald the idea of the gray zone between black and white... I think that making an argument for having a settlement of goblins who are neutral mm -hmm. makes sense because yeah. they're like, fighting won't work with us. We have a giant mushroom mine and we have pet spiders. We can sell toxins to the bad guys and we can sell mushrooms to the dwarves who want to eat. We work the middle line. We survive. And the yeah. idea that you could have orcs who behave this way. They're like, we're mercenaries for hire. Local village can't afford guards. 
we go in, we kill all the goblins, but then the goblins pay us to go back again later. Yeah. Like, I like the idea that weird playable races could be just, like, evil races, but in our world, they're just much more of a gray tone rather than a classic, mm -hmm. like, E, I'm evil because I'm an orc. Rawr. Right, right. So, for whatever that's worth. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. I mean, that and I yeah. just don't like fucking Azamar or Genasi. Yeah. Okay, I didn't say that. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Well, also, they're cool yeah. when they're... Again, it, races are cool when they have a good purpose to them. But, well, that's, but that's the thing. If you're just it? trying to be fucking weird, like, you just make an interesting character. Like, make your character interesting because they have a cool thing about their personality. Right. But, like, a cool race doesn't make a cool character, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think for this campaign, what we have decided makes sense. But I just meant, like, in terms of answering these questions, right... If you were to ask the what kind of strange races exist in your world earlier on when you haven't defined the campaign in many other ways, it might be more interesting for later questions to include some strange races, but we've already kind of fleshed out so much that then just adding mystical and, you know, you know obscure races for now feels like we're just adding it for the sake of adding it as opposed to it being... Yeah, meaningful in that. I mean, I you guess know, like, that's why the idea of tieflings came up earlier, and right. the idea of dragonborn came up earlier, is because that's when it fit. But I almost want to disagree with you and say that because in the beginning of the episode we didn't have any direction, I feel like it would have been so hard then too, because anything I would say would just be like, I don't know, fucking Arakakura, the bird people. Yeah, Let's that... just have them in there. And then we would just be shooting in the dark at random stuff. True. Like this, we have a world where we can use the history to explain... Oh, there's the time loop. That's why Githyol and Kika make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you could also be a DM who's like, you know what, I really like Janassi and I want them to be a race in my world. Sure, of and course. And then you can, you know, so I think it can you be, I think, I think in both cases are true. Like, I agree with you disagreeing with me, but I also agree with myself. Ah, so okay. you agree with our disagreement, but you agree that yes. your agreement with yourself is one to agree with. Like, I think both ah, points good, are valid. Good, good. I'm I think, glad we're on the same I think page. it can be done both ways. It depends on how you're building the world and the, you know, but anyway. Not to get away from the point, sorry. No, no, no. I mean, it's it's good to talk about because this whole entire arc of episodes is about building a campaign. And this is where it gets kind of weird as a DM is because you're sort of dictating what the play style is going to be for everybody at your table subtly and, and in this sort of way. And I was reading today about GURPS, which I know a lot of people don't like GURPS. And that was exactly what I was reading on the internet. People were just asking the question, like, they're like, you know, quote, I'm a longtime GURPS player. Why the fuck do people hate GURPS? And because the internet just hates GURPS. And one person's reason why is they say there's two types of people who hate GURPS. People who tried to play it, didn't understand it, and hate it. Or people who read on the internet that GURPS sucks, and that's why they hate it. And they're like, people who played GURPS and had a good time, fucking love it. But that's because GURPS comes out of the box with no campaign setting. And it just says, this is a toolbox make your own setting. Here's an entire list of like 8,000 fucking rules. Pick the ones that make sense for your game. So mm -hmm. if you want it to be sci-fi ninjas, use sci-fi ninja kind of rules. If you want it to be classic fantasy, use classic fantasy rules. But people who hate it are the people who can't just jump out of the box with it. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I'm bringing this up is because as a DM creating a setting and like giving it to your players, like if somebody came to me, if I'm running this campaign setting and says, I want to play an Aarakocra fucking, I don't know, wizard who's lawful good and I'm this and the other. I would say 
that's going to be very hard to explain, you know? Yeah. And it's like because our campaign setting doesn't come out of the box like a lot of other 5e players do, where they just sort of say like, oh, it's Forgotten Realms where anything goes because it's very vanilla, it's very acceptable, and mm. anything can be explained as coming from somewhere because right. everything exists there. So there's got to be some place where an Arakakura that's lawful good that is a wizard, that somewhere makes sense. Yep. But in this world, as we've described it... Nope. It's, and that almost feels wrong as a DM to have to put down a hard capital N, no. But, like, I don't know. I think there's solace in there. And I think it forces people to roleplay. I right. think it forces them to avoid these pitfalls of, like, I'm a Janassi half-mummy sorcerer queen. And I'm, like, I'm playing this <laughs> character. And it, and it forces you, instead of trying to be creative with, like, your titling, to be creative with your history and yep. your gameplay. Your and, act, and talk yep. about, like... You know, if you were to make a character right now, also, spoilers, for, like, question 30, the last question is, if you could make a character for this campaign, what, what would, would it make? be and why? And I I love that question. I want to hint at it. Thank you for giving me the, like... I figured so. You got kind of catty at me when I brought this up. And you're like, well, you're like, I'm coming up cold right now. Yeah, okay. Catty, catty. Um, but no, and, and so when I think about it, I'm like, if somebody came to me and they were saying that about playing the half-Janassi, mummy, warlock, queen thing, whatever... It, it just strikes me that, like, if you were to tell them about the campaign and talk about how cool all these different little elements are and how restricted the world is, like, you're not given so much freedom to work with, but it's, like, it's the flavorful things where you say, like, I come from a long line of mercenaries yeah. and there's one sword that's magic, but for some reason it's not magic in my hands and I want to figure out why. That's cool. And that yeah. fits into everything we just talked about today and in like one of the last episodes. If you want to say, my father was an evil warlock and I'm a dragonborn tainted by his magic. I was born in the settlement because he couldn't kill me. He abandoned his wizardry when I was born and he saw what he had done. I want to atone for his sins. Mm -hmm. That all fits. And it's cool and flavorful. You could play a dragonborn wizard. Right. Boom. There you it's go. A way more <laughs> it's way more substantive. I mean, not to like throw shade at the Forgotten Realms and all that kind of stuff, but it's, I mean, I feel like it's a very different experience when you're playing a campaign that has been written by a, a DM, like, I don't know, just right. because it's a much more thought out, fleshed out, and kind of like, substantive world, whereas the Forgotten Realms, they're just like, bibbidi woo, and a bibbidi bop, and I got this hey, thing over here. look, don't you talk about Ed Greenwood like that, okay? That guy made the entire campaign setting He's, top to bottom. I, I mean, it's amazing, but I'm just saying like, all right, you know all what, right. you yeah, know yeah. what, whatever. But I'm just like, in well, this regards, having it be a little bit more like narrowed in and not having them be able to play everything under the world's kind of realm of possibilities, I think yeah. means that they can have a much more substantive and involved experience in the... Right. Races that you do have, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, everybody talks about creativity coming from constraint and the idea that, like, I don't know, being told you have to fit your idea in this box and it's got this much for its parameters. Like, it makes you come up with cool characters in a short, breathable, elevator pitch amount of time. And I think those characters are cooler because they're less all over the place and they're more of, like, a restrained, like, single idea that you get to live out and flesh out. But... Um, I think the other thing that we're kind of running up against here, and just to end the podcast on a, on a note, um, and we talked about this one time before um, me and Ryan did in an episode about podcasts and talking about how some people hate podcasts like Critical Role because they miss, like they don't show 
how a DM actually is, and instead they show, like, a television DM, and I described it as being, like, D&D for consumption, the idea that it's, like, it's a podcast made by professionals to be consumed as entertainment. You're not playing, so they have to make it cool enough that you'd still want to watch. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So in the same regard, like, The Forgotten Realms was made for consumption, or at least, sorry, it's been packaged for consumption. It's made so that people can come from, again, right out of the box, jump into the game world and play, whereas ours is something that, like, people would need to listen to the podcast to get the full summary of what they could possibly do. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So why this one is probably more fun, The Forgotten Realms, in, like... I know that sounds wicked controversial to say it that way, but I think that's the case with more specific campaign settings are probably more fun than more broad ones. But that's just because... Exactly, because you feel... And remember in the first episode, you and I were talking about this, the goal of the campaign setting Mm -hmm. is to play a game that you'd rather make a flavorful character than one that's made for crunching and min-maxing. And again, I think that's where we're at still. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think that's been pretty consistent across the board. So, I mean, here we are in episode seven, wrapping it up, and I think we're doing pretty good so far. Yeah. I, I dig this project, and I yeah. think this is really neat. But, yeah, I mean, we ran a little bit long on this one, but I'm okay with it. I think we talked about some really neat stuff. Yeah. So, um, on that note, I mean, do you have anything you want to say? Um, players be good to your DMs, and DMs be good to your players. <laughs> Uh, well, finger gun, finger gun. Pew, pew, that's pew. not even my line, which is the sad part. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> okay, that is my line. Okay, whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, uh, everybody should go check out Sabrina the Teenage. I was actually going to uh, plug uh, a different podcast. Um, she's has, got this uh, new season in Hogwarts. And January twenty fourth, really... the day after uh, Picard comes out. Who's so, Picard? You know, you know, don't talk to me about that. <laughs> you got really red all of a sudden and kind of sweaty. What's the matter? <laughs> Who's Picard? <laughs> but anyway, play uh, DMs be good to your players. Players be good to your DMs. Roll a fat 20 for me and bye-bye. Okay, I thought you were going to say something cool. <laughs> <laughs>